Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. Okay, these ADUs are going to be sweet. If you haven't been following our past two episodes and have no idea what an ADU is, then go back and have a quick listen. When I say quick listen, maybe try one and a half times speed. In the past two episodes, we do an overview of detached ADUs, how they could begin to start to try to help alleviate a small part of a portion of some of the housing pressure we face here in Southern Ontario, and how they can help to boost returns and cash flow on your investment property. Remember, as an investor and asset owner, pressure on the housing market and financial system can work in your favor. So, you know all the foreboding economic challenges and fear and pain and turmoil in the world? Yes, it may seem difficult to steward your wealth through all that, but these challenging times can also be an opportunity for strategic investment and growth. We believe that ADUs are just one such strategic opportunity. This time we discuss more about the design and getting these things rented out. And if you need to put a pen to paper to figure out whether or not this strategy makes sense for you, we put together a complete ADU treasure map called the Backyard Suite Treasure Map, how to find big money in your backyard. You can download it for free on our website at www.twostewards.ca. That's T-W-O stewards.ca. It's under the resources section. Mark's book is also up there for you to check out. And now, since I cannot contain my excitement any longer, let's get into ADUs. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Two Stewards Show. My name is Mark, and I'm here with... My name is Brent. And uh, I'm here with My Name is Brent, <laughs> and we're continuing our conversation. Oh, we're trying to cool our jets a bit, because we were just talking a lot off the air about... Yeah, we get worked up about things. What's going on in the world. Yes, and uh, so, yeah, we're going... Calm down, we're going to talk about ADUs again. Um, so yeah, last time we talked about accessory dwelling units and, uh, a whole bunch of notes about that, how to do it specifically. Um, and we have, uh, you've got an, uh, an update here, Brent, maybe an update, but, uh, just <laughs> no, a note. Okay. I actually read the Hamilton website because I think <laughs> on the last two episodes, we're like, oh yeah, you can do units. But now we read the, the website and it actually says you can do. Uh, up to four dwelling units on most low-density residential properties. As of right. As of right. So, so <clears throat> and we were just going back and forth about how difficult that is to get approved or how easy it is. But they do allow yeah. four dwelling units. Yeah, it's allowed. So, and they, they actually have examples. Oh, you want to pull that up? Yeah, I got it here. Um, there we so go. So, if you're watching on YouTube or however else you're watching this, if you're peering in the window, uh, we got <laughs> Stop on the screen, just the city of Hamilton has a quick uh, uh, diagram of different house configurations that are permitted. And so you have like a principal dwelling, which is the main house. Then you have an additional dwelling unit and they, they get so confusing because they call the additional dwelling unit can be in your basement. It can be in the loft. Yeah. It could be in the backyard. Um, and if it's in the backyard, it's called the detached additional dwelling unit. So it's very technical words. Like yeah, you could use a different word. Has their own flavor. Like a basement suite, a uh, loft suite, or a garage. I don't know. But yeah. anyways, they have um, like the main house and then the basement unit. So that's two. And then you could have it where um, the main house has a, like a loft above. So it's two. And then you could also have, and all these ones are like as of right, right? Yeah. So um, a duplex with an ADU on the back. Yeah, and a duplex outside. with a detached building, right? ADU. Yeah, and then, or you could have a triplex. Yeah. Or a triplex with a detached ADU. I or like that even one the best. A fourplex. Yeah, a fourplex, <laughs> which so, is actually, um, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of actually the older, bigger homes in Hamilton that yeah. kind of have done that. May not be legal or have the potential to do it. So now, if you have one of those homes, you could put in four units. With no variances. You got to yeah. get your permits and stuff. Yeah. But you can just go do it. Yeah. So the zoning cool. might permit it. And when it says like four units are allowed on most low residential properties, like the zoning might allow for it, but they're, the well, limitations are going to be all your setbacks parking. and your height and your parking and your fire exit and egress and all of these different things. Right. So, yeah. Um, while it might be permitted, it might be cost. <laughs> it might not be practical. Cost prohibitive to uh, actually implement and yeah. put those units in. But when you're looking for properties, if you can find something that works that's currently being underutilized, uh, 
yeah. as one or two units and you can put it up to three or four. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a huge value add. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. that's a quick update. There you go. Okay, perfect. So now we actually know what we're talking about here. <laughs> it's still not, but uh, we're getting there. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about a few other things. We talked about like how to um, how to build the ADU and some salient points around that. Yeah, we went through the construction process last time. Yeah, um, just from a high level, and uh, we're actually starting one right now. So we're digging out uh, the pad. And we're getting all ready to go. And then we're going there and looking at it. And the tenant comes out and is like, hey, by the way, like this is the main floor tenant yesterday. Right. And they're like, by the way, um, is that going to be the wall right there? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and how high is this thing exactly? Right. And, and so, so like they're in a, they're in a two story house. So like they'll, they'll be above it. And the, right. their bedrooms and their bathroom upstairs will be above the unit, but yeah. still on the main floor, their backyard, which is like a paradise with trees and yeah. whatever now, and a nice view of the escarpment, has this big unit in the back now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we had to measure it out and see with the measuring tape in the air, like how high it goes. It's, yeah. it's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, yeah, I think uh, this is the sort of thing that we like to experience and try out on our own dime and our own projects before we start implementing it for other people. Yeah. Make sure that we don't run into issues. And But yeah, it was kind of surprising. We put the measuring tape in the air and this thing is like, you know, 16 yeah. or 18 feet. In the air. <laughs> it's, uh, it's up there. Yeah. So the tenants are kind of concerned, right? Because um, this is something that I had kind of planned and what we'll... we'll this is on our list of things to talk about. So I can just go off on this story. Let's talk about it. But, um, we're talking about tenant interaction, um, a little bit last time. And, um, and so we, so when I, when we built this house, uh, the duplex, like the primary dwelling, we wanted to have, you know, the, the backyard thing started at least, um, because we didn't get both permits at the same time. Right. It was kind of one thing we built the house and we we're like, Oh, we can get a permit for this because it's loud. So let's do it. Right. So and this it, is, sorry, this is just slab on grade, not yeah. the basement. <laughs> yeah. It's just okay. a slab on grade one bedroom unit in the backyard. Um, but when With I the second floor, like what no, is no, this? No, it's just, uh, so it's, it's like eight foot walls. Yeah. Slab on grade, but, um, on but it has roof. a peak roof and right. then the roof is, um, like a vaulted ceiling inside. Right. So it's, oh, okay. it's going to be really cool inside. Um, but it might be a little bit of an eyesore for the current <laughs> tenants. Right. But so what I was saying is it'd be nice for the tenants if they could come when they're viewing the house to rent it out, to see the unit, right. And say, okay, well, am I going to want to rent this house if right, that thing's that in the backyard? Yeah. And that was one of the questions that we got, um, recently from somebody too, like, how does it affect the tenant interaction? I could yeah. tell you yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> not positively. We had to kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just the reality of what's, uh, what's but, happening, right? Yeah. But I'm also pretty confident that if we were to design it really well and we have, um, yeah. and once it's built, we'll landscape it really well as well. And, Land, like even a small space, a, a, like nice landscaping can go a long ways to kind of making the space feel, um, really welcoming and really, uh, maybe even bigger. I don't know, but, yeah. um, it's definitely going to be pleasant to look at. It's not just going to be like a big wall of whatever white facing you every single morning when you wake yeah. up, it's going to be nice. Right. So that said, there's still somebody in your backyard that you kind of have to get along <laughs> with. So. <laughs> Uh, I know. Is it, so is this a duplex already? This is a duplex. Yeah. So they got so downstairs. The downs. Well, the downstairs people, people are moving with. in uh, in a week or two. Okay. So they're they're coming in, but right. yeah, the way the way we've designed it. So <clears throat> just to give people a little bit of perspective, so you can do this like a reformed perspective. Reformed perspective. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can do this on a corner lot. Yep. Right. Or an interior lot and an interior lot has like lots on both sides. So yep. it's, it's maybe 50 feet wide and a hundred and something feet deep, yep. um, like a standard lot. But in that case, like you have limited parking at the front, right? Cause you only front on one street. Whereas on a corner lot, you front on two streets. Yeah. So you have options. You could potentially have parking on alt, uh, like on opposite sides of the, the yeah. lot. Right. Which for tenant usability, and design is actually 
Um, like you could live separate lives, never even see each other essentially. Right. Yeah. Like I park on this street. I never go down that road yeah. and then I just back out and I go to work and I, like, it's as if whatever, maybe you, people don't even go out of their house. I don't know, but, um, but well, if, I'll just get off track a little bit. Nice. No, but we're, like where <laughs> we live, we live next to a house that's on a corner lot. Yeah. And it's just a duplex. There's no room for an ADU, but yeah. it is, as you said, there's two driveways. Yeah. So the one driveway is for the basement tenants yeah. and they go in and they sit outside sometimes, but they go in their entrance. And then the other side around the corner yeah. is for the upstairs tenants who we never see. Like, yeah. like I've seen them maybe twice in a couple of years wow. when they're bringing Are, groceries they're in. They're still alive though. I, yeah, I guess yeah. the landlord goes over there and okay. cuts the grass. So presumably he's checking on them. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like they never, they never interact because we've talked to the other, the basement tenants, yeah. right? And they like, they do they not interact it. with yeah. them. So just so kind that, of reinforces yeah. your point. So you have shared living and everyone's worried about that, but that is an advantage to have like a corner lot. Yeah. And I guess disadvantage you don't have this big backyard. But. Or even uh, an alleyway. Yeah. Lot where like people a through can go lot in. Yeah. where it fronts on two streets or one street in an alley. Yeah. Um, yeah, but where I was going with this is, so if you have an interior lot, like we do in this case, yep. like they're going to park in the front, but you can really only fit two wide, two spots wide. Right. Yeah. And they don't allow tandem parking, but tandem parking is not like when you park it's in front of each other. Anyways. It's not very effective for multi dwelling unit. Like if it's just one unit, I, even for me at home. It's yeah, a pain in the butt. I know you end up driving the other person's car, yeah. right? Like you drive your wife's car, or your husband's car, or whatever, and yeah. yeah, then you have to adjust the seat, and it's just yeah. so ah these oh, first world problems, yeah. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> so hard done by. Yeah, so for the in this case with the tenants, like the the one unit's going to be parking on the street and yeah. walking to the back, right? But so we have designed it so that the the basement tenant parks at the front in the driveway and they have a walkway around the right hand side of the house and their door is right at the back corner yeah. and it's a walkout. So they don't basically have to never go around the other side of the house. Yeah. And the, the other tenant will go around the other side of the house. And then as soon as they get to the back corner, it's just a walkway to the unit and, and then the, and they're kind of, they basically stay on the one, like the left side of the lot, like yeah. they just a walkway. Right. And, and we'll the probably, upstairs and tenants they, just yeah, go in the front, the main, the, yeah, the main floor tenants, they park in front of the house and they walk right up their steps and they're in, and then they have a deck at the back and they have kind of, uh, <laughs> with a lovely view, yeah, of the with a lovely view of all the tenants, <laughs> 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 but like, that's not, uh, yeah. I mean, where else in the world, like you go to any other city where there's density and people like you yeah, exactly. have to interact with people. So, yeah. Um, it's just gauging expectations, right? If you're going to be charging a decent amount of rent for the unit, um, and you want to attract a, a, a quality tenant that like is going to be able to pay that rent and, you know, treat the place with a lot of respect, yeah. then you might end up sacrificing the, yeah, you might end up sacrificing the tenant quality, the price, or like the number of dwelling units you can fit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would think with the, just with with housing crisis, with rents, with everything else, I think, you know, you're building brand new... What housing crisis? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll forgive me if I don't think about a housing crisis. Um, no, but with everything that's going on, yeah. right, you're building nice units. Yeah. So people might be like, ah, I don't know, it's a little cramped, whatever. Once they get inside, they're going to be like, wow. Oh, wow, yeah. And then probably you will attract the kind of people who are okay with just Being like, inside. living inside. Yeah. And not being outside as much. And maybe the main floor tenants, they can still be on the deck and enjoy it and whatever. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, as you're doing the showings, you'll naturally, those kind of people will gravitate yeah. towards the unit. So that's the kind of things that we're mindful of when we're going to look for properties, but also when we're designing the properties for a maximum density, right? Because you want to achieve the highest and best use for the lot, but yep. you always think, or anyways, I always think about when I'm in this room, what am I going to be doing and what am I looking at out the window and how do I feel? Right. And I, I am, I'm a sucker for this cause I kind of have this design background. So I always think about from the tenant's perspective or the, yeah. the user's perspective, right? Um, like I'm paying good money for this experience and I'm standing in my bedroom and I'm looking at that. Is that okay or not? Right. And, um, so you can kind of prioritize your rooms, right? Like I spend most of my time basically, in my common area. Yeah. But to be honest, a lot of people are now 
having a home office. So they're spending a quite a significant amount of time in their home office. Yeah. So how can I optimize that? Like the home office has a good vibe to it. Like I'm content to spend eight hours of my day, even if it's a basement unit sitting in this room. Right. right? Yeah. Like, so what do what I see out the view? window? Yeah. Right. What do what do I see when I look out my door? Do I see like, you know, the laundry machine or do I see, you know, this beautiful like built-in fireplace and does it feel nice? Right. Like, and you, it, those are hard, like intangible things to like quanti- yeah, quantify, quantify yeah. yeah, but they actually add a lot to the value and the experience and the, like the tenants, um, respect for the place, the tenants respect for you as a landlord, yeah. uh, the tenants, um, value on like what they're actually willing to pay. Right. <clears throat> so yeah, no, it can make all the difference. Yeah. In, um, uh, so then when you're like adding a, a detached well, like accessory dwelling unit, then there's a whole nother set of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause how does that affect unit A yeah. versus unit B and sight lines? And then now you're dealing with neighbors, right? So what do yeah. the neighbors see when they look at this building? Right. You want them to enjoy it as well and to benefit. And not only that, it's not just like you want to build this unit in your backyard to maximize your income, but you also have to think about, you want to maximize everyone else's property value too. So can you, you know, okay, th- yeah. there's ways that you can do it to just build it to like maximize your income. But at the same time, if you boost the value of everyone around you or right, like, um, there's ways to do it that will help that. And there's ways to do that will hinder that, but that'll boost your value too in the long term. So in Hamilton, <laughs> as far as you know, we don't have like a style department or whatever, do we? <laughs> no, because that's a thing in a lot of cities, right? Yeah. Especially where St. they have Catherine like historical... Oh, is it St. Okay. Yeah, yeah, where you have to build in accordance sort of with the flavor of the neighborhood or with an approved design at the very least. So I don't have experience in Hamilton with um, like a new build, uh, the process of new build. But in St. Catharines, the one uh, when we went through that process, um, they have a design review committee. Mm -hmm. So if you propose to the city to build a certain building they will they will have like uh, kind of a prerequisite you have to pass through the des- design review um panel and it's oh, like okay. a handful of people and they basically say like uh and i think in our case it had to be brick up to the fr- like the top of the first floor oh, okay it's a two-story house and but it couldn't just be brick on the front it had to be brick uh, all the oh, way around okay Right. So like that has a direct impact on the cost. Oh yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. And it's just (laughs) some guy or a group of people in their little committee, like three or four people who just say, you know what? I looked on Google street view and across the road, the guy has brick. So I think you should spend (laughs) $40,000 bricking your house. (laughs) No offense to bricklayers because it looks amazing now and it's nice. It's going to last forever, but it's also way more expensive than. Uh, I think there's a revitalized brick factory in Hamilton now. Okay. You know the one on uh, Lawrence? Yeah. Yeah. They, they've, I thought they were building something else, but I think it's just a new brick factory. factory. Because there's new skids of brick. So maybe price of bricks will come down. Yeah. Yeah, we just yeah, go over there. A it's a short walk from here. Uh, they're selling them right from there. You can go buy a skid of bricks. Huh. So, anyways, that's a little bit off track. <laughs> um, no, but if I think about, you know, you go to Europe, for yeah. example, like going to Holland, right? They have a lot of rules around like what you can build and how it looks. And yeah. it's like, it's there's a lot of rules. Which is nice. But it looks nice when yeah. you're driving through these neighborhoods, exactly. right? Because the style is all the same. It all flows, yeah. and uh, so I mean, but there's a price to, to pay it. for that, right? Because if the city wants everything to look nice, well, everyone's gonna have to spend more on building it, yeah. And it limits the amount of people who would even take on a job, so you're gonna limit the number of houses or units being built. So if you're there's always yeah, yeah always <laughs> there's uh, trade-offs. The law, well, the law of unintended consequences, right? Yeah. You want might make it look nice, but yeah, it's gonna cost more, which means that whole neighborhood yeah. is gonna cost more. Yeah. As it uh, densifies. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and, yeah, I mean, do you increase sort of ghettoization then? Because downtown, maybe you don't have those same rules. So now you can build bigger, much denser, yeah. yeah, whatever you want, which doesn't look as nice, Exciting. which attracts well, a different style of tenant. my eyes have kind tenant. of been open in the last little bit, too, to how many building projects there are out there that don't go through permits, that just don't abide by any of the rules that just kind of like i know oh, it's have out you been there. to my house recently 
<laughs> you know it's out there, but when you yeah. start driving around and talking to people and meeting people and then looking at their houses and looking at who's living in the house, right? We're going to a few properties and stuff, and it's just yeah. like, man, oh, how did you build this? Like, that's still standing? Why <laughs> Why would you want to live in that? You risk your life every night going to sleep and the thing yeah. could fall over. But it's a dwelling unit, right? And people pay like 500, 700 bucks a month to live in that bedroom because there's nowhere else to live and that's the cheapest thing and they're yeah. way downtown or whatever. Well, and they don't know either, yeah. right? But they don't also don't care. Like it's not their house. It's not, if that's it falls right. over, they go to the next one. That, as long but, as they're not But the it. owners are just saying, well, I could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this legally and fix it up or I could just spend $10,000, put up a piece of this and, and like styrofoam and now I have four bedrooms and yeah. I rent them out for 500 bucks, right? Yeah. But it's almost like the city is kind of turning a blind eye to some of this stuff because they well, need people off the streets and in the houses. I don't know. Are they like? Do they know about it? Uh, right. It's I can think to of not. I don't know. I could like even in in my neighborhood where like someone has basically gutted a house. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking a little they bit did. more downtown. Like, okay, yeah. but I'm just thinking like unless one of the neighbors had called to com- report them, like it was nice they did yeah. you know it was good work but i i'm pretty sure they did the whole thing without any permits yeah um but like how would the city know unless somebody a neighbor something. called in yeah they're not driving around looking yeah. for like piles of drywall yeah you know what i mean um <laughs> well and the same thing downtown i mean how don't, many... don't say that too loud they might hire somebody is <laughs> yeah. the the pile of drywall guy driver <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're hiring yeah. Oh, no, minimum wage just went up. Anyways, that's a different conversation. We're talking about ADUs. <clears throat> ADUs, yes. Okay, so, yeah, design. Um, so, yeah, but that's interesting because not that's not the first thing I kind of think of. Yeah. And maybe, like, the interior design, so it's nice, you <laughs> yeah. get good tenants, but you're talking about exterior. Holistic. Yeah, holistic. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because that's the way I think about it because you're – on the one hand, you're just creating a dwelling unit so that you can get a person in there and rent it. And, and then like the investment side of it, right. Where you're, you're just, I, I spend this much money on this house and then I get a dwelling unit that brings in this much more money and that makes sense. But if you just take that perspective solely and you don't look at like th- this is a physical thing, it's a house, there's people involved, right? Like the people have to pay you they have to have a good relationship right it's not just surface level numbers right so i think investors um who are who are just about the numbers and the numbers have to work and the numbers have to make sense yes but that's not all of the picture right the other part of it is like you're a human being you're going to own this for 20 30 years what kind of lifestyle do you want to have with these people that are renting it like what kind of interactions do you want to have what um, you know, so many other factors that you have to consider, right? Yeah. And that ultimately comes down to like the house itself that you purchase, what it currently is, and then what you can make it into. And then the limiting factor there is how much it costs to go from what you bought it as to what you envision it to be to attract the kind of people you want, right? Well, I think part of this is comes down to stewardship principles as well. Yeah. Right? Not just make the most money. Like, yes, you should maximize your value, Yeah. but there's so many other things. Like you talk about highest and best use as a, as a maxim, right? In, yeah. the, in, in the real estate world. But that's kind of a I don't know, Christian stewardship principle as well. All the things you talked about, right? Building good relationships with your tenants yeah. um, and making it a nice part of the neighborhood. And, and even just like you have the ability to like, you're doing this once. Yeah. So you can make it like really nice and do like the best job you could possibly do without spending money frivolously. Yeah. But like, you know, how much more does it cost to have something well designed? Yeah. Right? And yeah, yeah, maybe it costs you a little bit more in landscaping. And, and uh, I mean, when you're like doing the design, you have to do a design anyways. Yeah. So doing a bad design versus a good one probably costs you the same. Yeah. And yeah, there may be a few features that are a little bit different, but you know, like just being able to take pride yeah. in what you're doing, right? Which I think you guys do. You can sit back and look at a thing and go like, 
this is nice. I, yeah. And I could live there. I could live there. I would want to own that for 30 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I plan on doing that, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, the mindset too when we invest and when um, like we help clients invest too is like this is long term, right? Yeah. It's you're committed and that's that's the way real estate like grows and um yeah there are ways to use real estate to make money quickly and then exit but then like we talked about before you have to reinvest if your money's losing value right away you have to deploy it again into something else and that becomes a bit more of a business and uh, a full-time occupation or at least takes up a lot more of your time and mental space to continuously run through that cycle yeah i mean that's you're making a living yeah right or you're i mean you can do well you can yeah. make a really good living but yeah that's your job yeah as opposed to tenant management and stuff like that and that's yeah. some people don't want to do that and some people have skills in that area as well right if you're like a really good builder and you can do you know i'm just thinking of like someone who can do it themselves like that's maybe that's a valid thing right yeah um but even in like with that, you can either do a good flip or you can do a bad flip, right? You can just put lipstick on and gloss over electrical issues and structural issues and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or you can do a really good job that you can take pride in yeah. selling to somebody else. So, you know, it, either way, there's there's Christian principles that and stewardship yeah. principles. And when the, market, last? when the market goes up, like yeah. it did a, a year or two ago, as it was really coming up, like anybody can make money doing that. Yeah. And like, you don't have to be a good builder. You don't have to be qualified or, um, you can, yeah. you can gloss over the electrical issues and the guy buying it might even know about it and not care because it's just a frenzy out there. Right. Yeah. But now when the market's softening and there's still demand, but people can have a little bit more scrutiny, a little bit more time, like people aren't, getting rewarded for that kind of behavior anymore. Flipping houses with it. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> oh, well, so. I mean, if they're doing a good flip. Yeah. But yeah. And, and that's always been the, even when the market wasn't crazy, that's always been a yeah. thing, right? Flippers have a bad name. Yeah. Um, what's their name? <laughs> Flipper. <Okay. laughs> Isn't that a dolphin? I think it was a show. Flipper the dolphin. Before We're my t- time, Mark. Before yeah. my time. I, uh, the one thing I wanted to chat quickly about too was um, uh, prefab versus build on site. And this right. is a big thing because I've talked to a number of people about ADUs um, on different scales. So some people, it's just like, I just have a one, like, I live here. I just want a unit in my backyard. Can I do this? How is it going to work? And then other people who are in bigger investors, they're like, look, I got 50 properties and I like, I could put one of these in 20 backyards. Right. So what should my options be? Like if I, if I go out and get permits for all these, would it be more cost effective to just do like a prefab thing versus building it on site, like traditional kind of conventional construction, just slab on grade, stick frame this thing and then build it. Right. So we've kind of done a bit of digging on that and, um, like the, the cost of these prefab, uh, houses are coming down and there is more options. So that market is slowly starting to get some traction. And, um, I've heard, uh, um, like in Northern Ontario, for example, or Northern, uh, BC, I think it is, um, on some of the native reserves, uh, the government's giving like grants for these companies to come in and basically just, you know, drop these houses everywhere. Right. So there, there's a bit of like scale happening there and they're testing out the systems and seeing how they work in kind of a harsh climate and getting, um, yeah, some use case going, but, um, inside the city boundary on, um, like rental properties, um, the one thing that I think we should keep in mind when we're looking at the difference between the two is both of them require some sort of foundation and site servicing. And this keeps coming up like time and again, because every single lot is different. And even if you apply to the city with yeah. your, your lot, like you might get one plans examiner or what different, like you might have different opinions too on how exactly they want to see everything coming out it's a little bit new so 
it's it's tricky to say okay like this is the best way to do it right yeah because um like if you do if you do a prefab unit right it's a pre-built house and you can just crane it over the house and drop it on something but you have to drop it on something and it has to connect to the sewer lines and the water lines and yeah hydro or gas or whatever right so that's that's kind of a that's everybody's problem you always have to service the lot yeah and ser- or service the unit and that cost is very like it varies it's kind of fixed it varies widely based on like oh, where the dwelling yeah. unit is where your services come in right so it's it's hard to kind of just make a cookie cutter solution to okay well i'm gonna just put 20 of these in all my backyards unless they're identical lots and the houses yeah. are here and the services are here and like it's hard to just say okay well the cost is going to be this and then well, it could cost you maybe five grand if it's super easy, or it could cost yeah. you what thirty grand. To, <laughs> yeah. So the minute you get into cutting the road and yeah. like going tying into the road, um, like the services, I think we talked about that last time. The services under the street. Now you yeah. get into a road cut permit, excavation permit, and you have to actually pay for the sidewalk to be repaired and the road, yeah. right? So, um, but yeah, prefab versus uh, stick frame. I think the jury's still out on the numbers on that but we're choosing stick frame because we see advantages to uh custom designing the unit itself to the lot given the tenant interaction basically like maximizing the space you have yeah and designing it well so that you're you know where's my outdoor storage where are my sight lines where is the garbage where's the parking right and that that's something you can't really control if you're just getting a prefab unit dropped in no, not if you've got, yeah, if you're building in the city, basically, where you've got, you know, smaller lots, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, do you, like, what is the cost of a prefab oh, home? Man, I've heard like anywhere from like 110,000 or 115,000 to like 250,000. So, yeah, depending on Usually what, companies will are. have multiple models and you could buy that the X number of square feet unit or like the double one and then um some of them even stack. Um Oh, cool. Yeah. Like Lego? Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of like Lego except for <laughs> for adults? Yeah, very expensive. <laughs> I don't know. Have oh, you Lego, looked at Lego yeah, lately? It's pretty expensive. I don't know. Uh, I could buy a Lego set, like a Star Wars one, or I could build an ADU. <laughs> yeah. uh, that reminds me, how many U's are in accessory dwelling unit? I don't know, like two? 80. 80. 80 U's. <laughs> oh, you were thinking long and hard about that one. Oh, yeah, no, I had to hold that one in for quite a while. <laughs> it's your dad joke of the day, folks. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so that's interesting because I've been looking at park model units. Okay, what are those? Um, and, yeah, it's not, I don't think, as big of a thing here in Canada. They do exist. Like, you don't live in the but, States, right? You always talk about the States, but you live here in Canada. You know, half. I'm halfway there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Living on a prayer. Um, no, but as we're looking at, you know, U.S. Uh, property and sort of maximizing use, right? Um, park model units are a very interesting proposition because it's like a, it's a prefab home, essentially, but it's right. on a trailer chassis. And it comes with a VIN. So it's actually a vehicle identification number. So it's actually classed as an RV. So you don't need to get, like, wherever you are, you don't need to get permits, right? If you're going to even put, like, a a mobile home, like a trailer, you need to, city has to approve that, et cetera, et cetera. But with, with these things, you don't really. You might have to get a permit for the electricity and the, um, right. like the sewer hookup and water. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, you can just plunk the thing. Cause if you had an RV, right, you yeah. would just, you could just drive that into your, your home cause it's a vehicle. Yeah. You don't need a permit for a vehicle. So that's uh, it's an interesting idea. You typically would need a little more space yeah. to, to add one of these, right? Cause you're so driving more of it a in. rural lot. Yeah, rural uh, would be a better a better option, but that's if you do have a rural lot with a bigger like with some property, um, it's not a bad option. So we've yeah. been kind of looking at and the cost of those you're probably seventy five grand at the cheapest U.S. Yeah, yeah. up to we've seen one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty grand, um, right. and I'm sure you can do more. But yeah. like 
Just some nice, uh, really nice. Are they units. limited on size though? Because they're on a chassis and they have yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have some that are like that have a second story. Right. Right. So you got to watch out for bridges, I guess, on the way. But um, yeah, it's it's limited to what the uh, the 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 chassis could hold, I guess. Right. right? But well, you can add a deck and stuff around them. Yeah. As well, and or you know, at the minimum. So that gets into something we wanted to talk about quickly, which is um, like the strategy you use when you're renting these things out, right? Because you're looking at possibly Airbnb. Yeah. Not necessarily just long-term tenants. So. No, but um, you could. I mean, you. I don't know. Why could couldn't you? Or. Well, because they're the I'm same size how many as bedrooms. some of the units you're talking about. Yeah, how many bedrooms are in there? I've seen like three bedroom units. Wow! Right, and they're, like it's yeah, they're tight because yeah. you're again you're on a trailer chassis. Yeah. Um, but designed fairly well. I mean, maybe you should look at them. I don't have the <laughs> the design pedigree, but uh, if they're on Pinterest. They're great. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, would you want to live? I don't know. People live in trailers. Yeah. That's very common in the states. So. Yeah living in one of these might not uh you know might not be so bad for a short-term stay like yeah absolutely i yeah. would stay in one of these because yeah. some of them are really nice long term yeah i don't know but possibility yeah yeah, yeah. hmm yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i got you off track there um <coughs> well yeah we're looking at long-term rentals right yep yep and uh I guess long-term. What is long-term cutoff? Like six months or more? No, a year or more. Well, okay. So that's that's a good question, right? When you're designing units, you're thinking about the tenants. Yeah. So what is your I- ideal length of stay for a tenant? Yeah. And then what kind of tenant is that? So just a disclaimer, like we've never actually rented one of these detached ADUs out before. Yeah. So... All of this. You've rented is, a lot of. We've rented a ton of other stuff. Base, basement units, for yeah, example. Yeah, main floors, whatever, other kinds of units. But um, from my experience, what would I predict or what would I want? Yeah. yeah so. Um, well, even with your other homes, I'm sure you have. It's probably going to be a similar tenant profile, right? Yeah. Um, so we, ha- we do have a certain tenant profile in mind, and it kind of depends on the unit itself. Um, but generally speaking, um, it's, I think we talked about this before, but people with an exit strategy. Yeah. So somebody who is, uh, a lot of time it's actually young couples, um, or young. So like this last unit, so it's two guys, they're, they're a couple years out of university. They've got good jobs and yeah. they're gonna like the one guy's working here and the other guy's working there and they're going to eventually probably in three years, both move on and get like their own house or, you know, get married or something. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a bit of a high expectation, (laughs) but I'm not going to judge anybody's, uh, personal life plans, whatever, but, um, yeah. So, so, but they both have kind of this exit strategy, right? Same thing with a lot of our other units is, um, you know, we are here for this reason and then we're, planning to do this in two to three, four years, yeah. five years even. Right. Um, but it's, it's the people who have in their head, like I'm using your services, like your rental, uh, options for like to serve me for this purpose. Yeah. And then I like, they have a purpose and a vision in their life themselves. Right. Um, cause a lot of times people are just, I just need a place to live forever. And that's great. But it's also very limiting as a landlord in Ontario. And um, so, yeah. why expand on that a little because bit? Because the landlord tenant board, and I was chatting with a uh, buddy in Alberta um, who who does tons of rentals, and they they can renew the lease at whatever rental rate they want. Because in Alberta, they don't have the same restrictions uh, yeah, that we do control. here, right? Yeah, rent controls. So for the duration of the lease, it is what you've agreed yeah. upon. So, so if you sign a, a one-year lease, it's eighteen hundred bucks a month. But if the market value of the rent changes to twenty-one hundred a month during that one-year period, and then the guy wants to renew for another year, you have the right. You don't have to, but you have the right in Alberta to just say no. Like we're re- we'll be willing to renew with you. Uh, it's twenty-one hundred bucks a month based on the market comparables and what we would expect to get if they choose to move out then the landlord can rent it for 2100 
right to someone else but if he overestimates it then he's might be vacant a month right so it kind of goes both ways and there's a little bit of like you can't bluff the tenant out of the unit um because then you're you're stuck for that (laughs) month and you end up renting it for less right yeah um but on the other hand like that tenant might not care to move out like it's moving costs and it's inconvenience but at the same time like all the other units around are the same price because there's no rent control and people just charge what market value is yeah right whereas in ontario um you have to be mindful that like every time um you know you you sign a lease that person could be there indefinitely yeah and you can only raise the rent at whatever the government says you have to extract the maximum amount of rent possible is that what you do well, I mean, that's, is that not kind of the strategy or the mindset when you're renting in Ontario? Yeah. And that's, it's almost, uh, I feel like the government's kind of by this policy created a bit of a frenzy amongst landlords. Like you kind of cripple the landlord's ability to operate the property and maintain it. If you just say you like, you know, by the way, costs of everything in the world have gone up. If you want to replace your roof or your furnace or this yeah. or that or you have to redo the driveway, you want to maintain your property to any nice standard, um, the costs are way higher now. And property tax goes up, utilities and whatever. But by the way, your rent has to stay the same. So your income has to stay the same. So if you want to continue owning this asset, by the way, your income's capped at this and your expenses are doubled. So um, so you had to be really mindful when you're investing (laughs) that you're actually um, able to charge sufficiently that you can keep the property and keep it maintained but well and for most landlords what that means is you charge the absolute most that you possibly yeah. could even if you got to wait an extra yeah. month or two to get that tenant exactly. as opposed to like let's get something reasonable and then we can Just talk about it down the road right yeah like you have to and then and the other side of it too is repairs. you also have to think about is that tenant going to stay there forever or are they going to move out yeah and that's like we, we, we've kind of chosen to go the route where we, we want people in for three years or whatever. That's kind of our window, right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then move out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause one of the things that we'll talk to people about with a midterm rental strategy is that you're not always depending on how the rents are, right? So your short-term rents kind of lag long-term rents. Yeah. Uh, which in long-term rents kind of lag house prices, right? House prices go up. Rents don't immediately go up. Yeah. But because people have to buy them and and get into the places. And then once they're ready to rent them out, so there might be a six month, you know, this isn't scientific, but there might be a six month window. Seven month, right? Seven months. What? And not six months. I think it's seven months. Oh, I'm just saying from... <laughs> oh, you're making a joke now. Okay. Uh, but let's say there's yeah, a six-month leg. Too, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're, but you're newer. Yeah, I'm newer. I'm um, not good at it. There's a lag between, you know, house prices going up and rents going up. Yeah. And whether that's six months or seven, <laughs> whatever that is, right? <laughs> but then there's also, we found that there is a lag between long-term rents going up yeah. and short-term rents going up. Right. Just in the in the market in general, so that could be another. So long term rents take longer to go up, or they go up. No, they'll go up before short term rents will. Okay. Short term rents are generally correspond. We've seen to long term rents. Okay. It can correspond with house. They do correspond with house prices as well, but I've seen more of a correlation to long term rents. Mid term rent is somewhere behind that as well. Right. So sometimes when you're doing a midterm rental, it's not much more than market rent. Right. right? Generally, it is it is more because you're including uh, furnishings and yeah. utilities, and then just the no guarantee of having a renter for a long time. Right. But uh, but one of the tools that we kind of use to, to illustrate <laughs> to people the value of a midterm rental is that. Even if you were renting at the same as long-term rent after you account for furnishings and utilities, um, in the long run, you will still do much better because you're staying on top of market rent. Yeah. And so this would apply to rent-controlled areas like Ontario, right? Yeah. Where you have the ability to move that rent up every six months or so. Yeah. And we've got like a case study with the place that we owned where we did midterm rental. And, uh, the you know, it was a significant difference, like 40 grand or yeah. something over... Um, 50 grand over three years in, uh, in net income, um, because simply you can adjust your yeah. rent that way. So, and so like landlords buy these rent controls, like landlords are kind of between a rock and a hard place 
right? You have, you have the tenants who, yeah, you might love your tenants and they might be paying and it's working out great, but you also can't afford to keep the place, right? Well, especially now people are pinched, right? Yeah. And yeah, there's, you know, you see, there's no sympathy for landlords, right? Because people will say, well, whatever, a landlord shouldn't profit off of, yeah off of uh places and be like you know if you made a mistake that's your problem yeah and it's like well no it's kind of everybody's problem because yeah, they're gonna you sell. sell the house and, and the tenant's still living there yeah. and nobody's gonna buy it because they can't raise the rent yeah or <laughs> a family's gonna buy it at a, yeah. for a lower price and kick that tenant out because yeah. they want to live there so and whereas that tenant's gonna ultimately problem. pay more somewhere else anyways because yeah. they're going to pay market value so you can close your eyes to this and say landlords are parasites and whatever else but the fact is landlords provide almost like 90% of the yeah. of rentals in um, in Canada anyways yeah. right it's not like nobody else is providing rental space government's not yeah. building it there are some organizations that are doing affordable housing but just housing in general rentals yeah. is private landlords anyways that's my little rant yeah, we were about that but um, no but you it's a good point you're talking about your tenant profile right so you're kind of looking for these upwardly mobile tenants yeah. who are not going to be in your place long-term so that you can increase your rents yeah. uh, periodically. But with specifically with ADUs, um, we, so we want upwardly mobile. They're going to move and they're going to increase the rent. But we also, on the flip side, don't want frequent changeovers. And that's something that... Yeah, like, every year is necess- too much, right? Yeah, we haven't necessarily tried this out, but we're not really inclined to either. Like I don't want to have a house that's a duplex with an Airbnb that frequently changes over like tenants in the backyard. Yeah. And just, just too much, uh, of a learning curve for the tenants and too much hassle. And it's a lot of stress on the, the tenants in the main building who are kind of longer term stay. This is their home. Um, you have people come in and out, you never know what to expect and they yeah. might, might be great and it might work well, but then you always have this anxiety that's kind of, you know, am I paying this much to live here? And I always have to deal with that. Yeah. Right. And that's just always, it's almost a reason for them to want to move out. Right. Well, unless you had like the, the scenario where you've got units that are kind of separate, like a corner lot where yeah. they never have to see each other. You yeah. could even put a fence up. So they literally <laughs> never see the other yeah. people. Right. So yeah. that, that would be an option. But no, it's just in, because a lot of people don't think about tenant uh, selection, right? We've talked the, about it a lot the on the podcast. wall you were talking <laughs> <laughs> Between Egypt and Gaza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind uh, of offense? Uh, maybe not. That would be <laughs> yeah, offensive. But, uh, yeah, but, military uh, might. <laughs> um, no, but uh, anyways, tenant selection is yeah. important. And that starts with design right because yeah yeah, clearly if it's a one even with basements right a two-bedroom place you're really not marketing to families no um who will probably stay for a longer term you're it's going to be like you said younger couples or a a bunch of friends who live together yeah and the same would apply to the most accessory dwelling units because they're going to be one or two bedrooms right yeah um actually i guess um, I'm pretty sure it's capped at two bedrooms, but you could build three bedrooms. Essentially, well, two right? plus an office. Yeah. And then, um, so, and like we, I think we talked about last time too, right? If you have a basement and a story and a half dwelling, like you could technically have five bedrooms or whatever space enough for five bedrooms, right? Like, and people, a lot of people, if they're looking for housing and they're in desperate need, they're just going to sleep in the basement, whatever, yeah. throw a bed down there anyways. Right. So. Well, and you'll see that a lot with um, like people, like refugees, people from other countries yeah. where they're used to incredible density compared yeah. to here. And like to them, that's, it's warm, it's dry, it's clean. Like, yeah, yeah I'll sleep there. You have a 20 by 30 basement. Yeah. We can just, like the whole family will like sleep there, right? 20 beds. Yeah. Yeah. So different expectations. Oh. So, okay. So I think the point is design is important. Yeah. Is that, uh, well, it is, is that fair to say? Yeah, it is important. And it's often overlooked or minimized or whatever. Um, and it doesn't have to be that expensive to design. Like you're going to yeah. build this thing anyways, whether you pour the concrete like this or that, it could have a big impact long term because trust me, it's really tough to move concrete or alter <laughs> concrete once it's poured. You've had multiple experiences about that. <laughs> you pour it and it's like, you know what? That's not good. 
who's going to chip that out? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a lot of, yeah. Anyways, I don't want to talk about that because. What are the three rules about tears. concrete? I don't know. Like one, it's going to crack. Yeah. I can't remember what the first, well, that's number two. The first one is like, it's going to be solid or it's going to stay. There. Yeah. And the third one is nobody's going to steal it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, concrete's good, but you had to be, <clears throat> this is where like the permanence of something, if you're going to build something nice yeah. and durable, right? Like uh, even the wall construction, you could put up something like really, really cheap, really quick, two by yeah. four and a thing I'm done. Or you could, you know, hey, it's going to be a bit bigger. It's more insulation. It's going to have some, like, vapor barrier. And now there's, like, passive housing. So you're going to have, like, you know, minimize or, like, maximize your insulation, minimize air transfer, and, like, right. completely seal this thing off. And Or you could go, like, you go all the way to, like, a super crazy construction where um, you're maximizing efficiency and looks and everything, right? Um, but if you're doing it anyways, like the extra dollars for something. But if, so then it, where I was going with this, if you're going to spend more on the construction, cause you want something to last a long time, then the cost of like changing certain little things about it that might improve it from an aesthetic point of view yeah. or like a user experience kind of view, or like even the value of what you could charge for rent. Like all it is is a stroke of the pencil in the right spot. And now the thing is that much different and that much better. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. Design's yeah. important. Design's important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we'll wrap this one up there. And um, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we can finish her off on the next episode. We'll I think. keep you updated while, as we build this ADU, maybe. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Some, uh, yeah, we'll do some pictures update episodes. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. All okay. right, Mark. Thank you, Brent. And thank you, listeners, uh, for listening. Hopefully, you made it here. And uh, yeah, until next time, steward your wealth wisely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We will see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely. <laughs>